the stream here. There I am. I disappeared myself. We've got uh, Luis Jimenez from the Unidentified Celebrity Review. He's going to be joining us here. Uh, oh, let's see. I've got an echo going on. Man, all kinds of technical stuff going on here. I'm just going to throw everybody else in the stream here. I've also got Michael Mataluni from the Singularity Lab. Uh, we're jumping in here hot, and we're going to have a fun time tonight, you guys. Man, I'm starting off rough here. <laughs> hey, man. Live streams. It is live streams. Oh man, we've had so many. (laughs) I know. And you guys, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's either like Avi Loeb showing up 10 minutes late and us like doing a a dance and like having a juggle uh, while waiting for folks or, or yeah, or, or me getting the time wrong. And yeah, it's, you know, we, it shit happens, man. It's live. And you guys have shows like basically every night of the week, almost except for on the weekends. And then here you are on the weekend joining me on my show, being awesome bros and hanging out. And you guys have so much stuff going on. So Luis, uh, over on the Unidentified Celebrity Review, you guys have got so much going on. Why don't you take everybody uh, just a second and tell everybody what you're doing over there on the channel and and, uh, what everybody can expect if they go check you out. Um, well, I mean, we're talking about UAPs, UFOs. We're trying to bring scientific grounded, um, conversations. We're trying to take the the topic seriously. We just don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, but we also have a very, um, keen interest in the political aspect of the conversation. So, you know, every once in a while we'll do this thing called the big phone home. And it's just a huge organized effort to motivate as many citizens to call Congress and demand more data, more transparency, <clears throat> more information, more scientific discussion, uh, more grants, and and congressional hearings uh, on the UAP discussion. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's basically what we do. We just we have a lot of laughs, and uh, but we talk to really smart, fun, interesting people. Yeah, you guys have some like A list guests over there on the show. You guys have had. Uh, Lou Elizondo, you guys have had, uh, I mean, I can't even name them all. You've had tons of awesome people over there. And that's how I found you guys as well. And a lot of other friends in this UFO, UAP paranormal community uh, was based off of the big phone home. And you guys have another one coming up here soon. When is that going to happen? Do you know? Uh, So it's going to be September 4th, 5th, and 6th, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're going to be doing a live stream. I'm, we haven't picked the times yet. We're going to be nailing down a lot of these details right after this show. Um, <laughs> right. On. But like last time we did it, what, Mike, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m.? Yeah, 10 Pacific to 6. I think it was like uh, for me, it was like, yeah, like one to nine or something like that. Uh, yeah. It was wild, though, man. It actually it wasn't that bad. Like, what you know, the idea yeah. of going into an eight-hour live stream sounds horrifying and daunting. Oh, but, yeah. man, we had so many it amazing flew. people that it was, yeah, it was just a blast. By the time we got to the end, I'm like, hmm, it didn't seem as long as it thought it was going to seem. Yeah, I had um, my, my headphones on. I paid attention off and on throughout that whole thing almost that entire day and that really sucked me and i was like i've got to be a part of this i've been dying forever and (laughs) and michael you've been a part of the community for a while too coming at this from a different angle on over on the singularity lab so tell everybody really quick for those uh people that are listening or watching this on the podcast or whatever uh so they can find you and figure out what you're up to yeah man absolutely so i have been podcasting for quite a while i've been podcasting from about since about 2014 uh my first podcast was called kick-ass dad passionate parenting in a volatile world uh and it was it was a fun show for parents you know dealing with the insanity of of having children 
and then I got, uh, you know, I got really focused on my business and doing digital marketing. And then it wasn't until uh, about two years ago that I started podcasting again, uh, launched a podcast called Cocktails and Calamity, where we just had fun talking about futurism and, and uh, you know, politics and, and all kinds of wild shit. And then uh, and then um, I hit the debrief uh, for a little bit and I was working mm-hmm. with them and that really reignited my interest in UAP and UFOs. Uh, as well as futurism, breaking tech, breaking technology. And then uh, Lou and I crossed paths. Uh, we did an interview, um, just fell in love, and uh, the rest is history. It is. And now here we are. Fast forward through space time and bingo. Now we're all over here on the Carl Vibe Show. <laughs> Why don't we just jump in the deep end and we'll just uh, jump right down. Let's. So every, most people get into this kind of thing because they've had some sort of an experience themselves. And I know that everybody's already told their stories to everybody till they're blue in the face. And we don't have to do that here if you want to just uh, reference it. But what got you into this topic? Uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Lou. What got you involved in this and started with a passion from the get-go? Because I think it has a foundation for your angle on it and why you look at it the way that you do. It does definitely for me. Um, well, it's weird. I didn't have an experience first. I cannot explain why, but I feel like I've heard this story a lot from people that are into the topic. And that is when I was in elementary school, they would give us like a half hour library day or something like that. Library day where you go to the library, you can pick out whatever you want and you can look at it for an hour or check it out if you like it. And I always, always, always found myself by the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, and UFOs. There was always a pair of it was only like maybe six books at most. Uh, and but it was in every single library that every single school that I've ever attended had paranormal books. And they were always right by the Guinness Book of World Records books, and you always pulled those out too, right? I was <laughs> yep. the same yes. kid. Yes. Yes. Yep. So from I remember the earliest memory of that I have in second grade. Like second grade, For sure. third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, I was really into it. Um, I think in middle school is when I started reading the bigger things. Like I, the book that sticks out in my mind is the book about Gulf Breeze, the Gulf Breeze sightings mm. in Florida, because that's where I'm from. And um, and yeah, man, that, that book terrified the hell out of me. Like there was some really crazy pictures in that book. Um, and, uh, and that's what got me started. I would do like, you know, the foldable cardboard science projects. Yeah. I would do UFO related, alien related science projects. And the teachers would always give me you get like a C minus, right? I like the passion kiddo, but it's just not scientific. And, and, <laughs> I'm just like, how is this not scientific? How is this not scientific? And now you're you know? still um, like, I'm going to show you your, your grade school yeah, teachers. There's a, maybe you should go to therapy. You've got a whole channel and you're doing a phone home now. Like, <laughs> maybe it all I goes back to those should. grade school days where you felt picked sure. on by the I, teachers. I feel like I'm still doing the three, the oh my three God. panel science uh, project, but it but it's just morphed into a YouTube channel. But it's still a C minus. Like, we're, you know, we're still C minus uh, entertainment, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. But you, I mean, you've had an encounter, though, right, Lou? Yeah. Yeah, you've, man. You've, uh, sure you've seen some things. Maybe we'll uh, 
go ahead and I want to hear what if you want to tell it. Let's go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, story. so yeah. I was 13 years old. Um and I was it was like my first uh like birthday party I got to go to as like a you know a fresh teenager without my parents and my parents let me go to a party without them. It was the first time. And, um, and I went to a, a birthday party with my best friend at the time, this guy, Tony, and this girl lived on for better ter- words, a farm. It was, I mean, they were like where I'm from in Florida. It was a, like a blend of houses that sit on like four or five, sometimes six acres mm. and then just cookie cutter suburban neighborhoods. So I lived in like those suburban, very basic neighborhoods. And then this girl lived on one of these acre plots and she had a, like a cow farm next to her. And so anyway, so around nine 30 at night, just a little after the sun went down, uh, there's, we're in the party and me and my friend look at this girl she's standing in, you know not in the middle of the field but she's a she's a good three four five hundred feet away from the party and she's just standing in the grass just looking up like this and there's nobody around her. we're like okay that's weird we walked over um we're like hey what what are you looking at we started also looking up and she's like i'm looking at that light right there and we and i mean before she even said it we saw it we're like damn that's that's weird it was just like this green orb is the best way i can describe it 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 was it it didn't look anything too crazy when i first got my eyes on it um it's uh we were thinking oh maybe it's a uh, what's going on michael sorry about that (laughs) you're good i was trying to share the story we're we're totally chill here the aliens are trying to interrupt you they don't want your story to get Um, out no, so so I I you know we're looking at it and then I this is where my memory gets a little fuzzy. The the next thing I remember is this Jesus Michael, who's calling you? What's going on? It's I mean not, it's, it's cool Carl's story. it's, it's Carl's me. Story. I'm actually doing it over here on the side. Oh no, I'm just okay. no, I'm trying to share. A, oh yeah, yeah, I shared that one. Okay, cool. Um <laughs> sorry. So yeah, so the memory gets a little fuzzy. And then the next thing I remember is that this craft is hovering 30, 40 feet off the off the ground in the middle of the cow field. Um, Wait, your memory gets a little fuzzy because there's it does. Yeah. Was I there any remember. lost time or anything? There, you know? No, I don't think there was lost time. Um, because and I'll tell you, I was aware of these things because I'd already read a whole bunch of UFO books at this point. Mm. I was 13 years old. Like I had already I I was very familiar with the UFO topic at 13. And so even at 13 years old, I was going through the Rolodex because this is what I had read that you need to do. Like mm. I was like, okay, it's not a plane. Do you hear it? No. What direct? I, I I logged the direction it was moving. If I had the notepad or, or that I had written in, or the, the you know, if I just recorded it or something, um, mm-hmm. it would have been infinitely better. I'm sure the details, but the you know, I remember very vividly going through all of the things it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that struck me about it is it was no noise to it. So the first thing, the, the closest thing I could compare it to at first was a blimp, but I was looking at it. I'm like, maybe it's a blimp. But I was waiting. You know how you wait for a blimp to turn, and then it gives you that Goodyear or or that very familiar thing that says, "Oh, it's a blimp." It never did that. And then after that, I the only thing I really remember because I don't remember it traveling from high in the sky, 
to above the field. I just, I think this is just a memory thing, you know, where it's just a, it's a 28 year old memory. And for whatever reason, I just don't remember how it got from there to here. But the next thing I remember was it was in the middle of this field and it looked, it was shaped like a lemon. Uh, but with the top of it being bigger than the bottom mm. and it had portholes like very similar to the Gulf Breeze craft. Um, if you want to pull up a picture of the Gulf Breeze craft, it, it'll I, give you a real damn good idea of what I saw. It was so close to that. I had a blinking light on the top of it. It was it was bright white in the middle and it had a green aura which was weird that's just the color i remember um and as soon as i saw it there i said to myself holy shit i gotta get a better look i mean there was at this point there was the party went from a party to whoa what's going on over there and it was kids and adults all looking at this thing going what the hell is that uh like you could you could hear it in the adults voices which i think it it the party was over after this happened like nobody wanted like the party was done pretty much everybody was talking about this but just wanted to go home immediately mm-hmm. after it um but yeah so the so i just is like this that, what it looked like it looked very similar to that yeah very okay. very similar to that and i'm not mixing memories here you know that's uh because when you dive deep into this case there's a very good chance that the person who made these photos was faking them Hmm. it's like most people lean but when you really really dig into it man the story gets very very interesting because that photo right there that you just showed is it's almost impossible to fake (laughs) because of the photo techniques that you would have to do. It it was taken like there's raw images of it. It's not just like a copy of a photo. Right. Um, So, uh, so yeah. So once I saw it, I was like, I said to myself, I have to get a better look at this thing. I immediately wanted to get closer to it. That was the first instinct. Um, And the cow field was lined by a whole bunch of trees about, 7,500 feet tall. Hmm. And um, I started running toward the fence line where those trees are. Cause right behind that is the play is the cow field where this thing is sitting and I'm not taking my eye off it at all. But then I start losing it through the big trees and hmm. it's like light, 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 light. And then boom, nothing. I didn't see it disappear. I didn't see it leave. It was just gone. Hmm. I lost it behind a tree. And then when I came out from the other side of the tree, there was no light. So, Um, I mean, I have a ton of questions. I want to hear what Michael's story is as well here. And then uh, we'll jump into the main core of the topic, which which is, do you feel like what you experienced and what is happening is a nuts and bolts physical type craft that came from somewhere else in the galaxy, like an actual vessel or ship? Or is it interdimensional or from another plane of existence or maybe something both? I don't know where it's from, but right. I can tell you it was nuts and crafts or nuts and bolts. Yeah. Because nuts and light. crafts, but that sounds like a good br- crafts, breakfast yeah, cereal. Yeah. <laughs> I should get on that. I wonder what the mascot nuts, would be. New t shirt for nuts your show and nuts and crafts. Or like a brewery. A brewery. The mascot would be an angry art teacher for it's like a good grade. Yeah, a good name for a bar. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't. It felt very mechanical to me. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, because I could see portholes. The portholes are the things that really sort of stick out in my memory. And then I could see there was line, there was structure lines that separated the top half of the craft from the bottom part of it. So there was a structure to it. It wasn't like a ball of plasma. Mm. Um, it was just, but imagine the metal was glowing. <laughs> like, like that's how it looked, but it was bright white metal. And then it, it just gave off this aura that didn't expand. In other words, it didn't light up anything other than what was kind of underneath it. It, it It's like it almost the light stopped at where it wanted to just to, I don't know. It's, I can't hmm. explain it. It's very, very strange. But the, the blinking light at the top of it is also something that sticks out to me. It was like a strobe light at the top of the craft, hmm. which tell, which after now an adult, I think of it and I'm like, man, maybe it was man-made. Maybe it was a military craft. There are, for, first of all, the flight path is right underneath the Fort Lauderdale International Airport. Hmm. Um, but it definitely wasn't like a Boeing or a helicopter. Those two things are out for sure. Um, but we do have the Homestead Air Force Base, which is not too far, probably 60, 70 miles from that that point. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of military bases in Puerto Rico. So, you know, but but military aircraft, I was used to seeing. I, I'm very familiar with it because as a kid, I'd go see the Blue Angels and I'd go see the Miami Air Show. <laughs> like that was a thing every year. Um, so it didn't have the loud rumblings. It didn't make any sound at all. I didn't, I don't remember any sound from it at all. Hmm. So that's why I'm like, man, I just don't know. I have no clue where it came from. I, and I could, I don't even have an inkling as to, you know, is it man-made? Is it extraterrestrial? Is it interdimensional? Is it, you know, ultra terrestrial? You can't even no idea compartmentalize it into a logical box that we it can was define it. the yeah. weirdest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I ran into, and my mom barely remembers this. Michael was here for that conversation. We had my mom on the show for Mother's Day, and uh, and she kind of remembers me busting into the house, you know, around 10 o'clock at night, just screaming at the top of my lungs, wanting to tell them what I saw, and they're just like, Go to bed. We'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> um, nobody wanted to talk to me. And yeah. uh, the first thing I did, one of the first things I remember doing was call, there was a there was a TV show on Fox. And I think it was called Sightings. And you at the end of Sightings, you can there was a, a phone number you could call and report your sighting. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I gave you called it. I called it. Do if if I've never looked this up. But I'm wondering if we can find this because it might exist somewhere. But I left a message on that machine um, giving them the direction, the, the atmospheric conditions, the temperatures. I, I remembered everything, and I, and I recorded it on that hotline the next day with my friend right there. Like him and I, we, you know, because his mom picked us up. She took me home first and we were freaking out in the car. And, and of course, we're like, all right, call me tomorrow. Okay, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. As soon as I woke up, he called me. I called him. He came over to my house. He lived right down the street. And we sat there for an hour and we just talked about it over and over. And we went over it, over and over it. And then we called. I was so nervous when I called. And then we, you know, we told him, you know, all of the details of it. And nobody ever called us back. <laughs> nobody ever. <laughs> which, which I found kind of, I think the show got canceled pretty shortly after. 
um, it might have that might have been the last season that they had produced. Literally, when I made the call during the season, and if that's the case, then yeah, it, of course they never called me back because they never made any more shows. How amazing would that be to be able to like pull that recording back up and listen to it all these years <laughs> later? And I would, <laughs> I would kill for that man. recording, man. I would kill for that recording because because it, it's a it's two kids, it's right. two thirteen year old kids. You know, yeah. like I'm sure if whoever there was a producer on that show if i bet they were begging for one more episode if they heard that um yeah. or another season i guarantee you we would have made the season if they'd made another season um but yeah man it was it was wild that's amazing lou uh yeah so as that as a foundation to the rest of the conversation as to whether this is from another dimension or these are from the galaxy somewhere on another planet let's go over to michael and here do you have any kind of experiences or just an accumulation or is your experiences more spiritual or paranormal tell us what you've experienced so uh my you know my interest in this topic is similar to lou so when i was a kid it was like i was all about pyramids and loch ness monster and ufos and you know pretty much anything i could get my hands on that was in the realm of mystery remember that show in search of with leonard nimoy yeah oh yeah <laughs> dude i love that shit dude it's great yeah i was i was super into all of it um but uh yeah so i was 11 years old and my family and i were on a uh we rented a house uh somewhere around destin florida um, and it was just a, you know, a dark evening, but it was pretty clear and we saw, we were out on the balcony and we were looking over the ocean and we just saw probably like five or six lights. And again, 11 years old, so 11 year old memory, but I actually recently called my dad and asked him what he remembers about it. And he remembered actually in more d vivid detail than I did. My, my mother saw it, my father saw it, aunts, uncles, um, my little sister. And so basically what we saw was just all these different lights um, out above the ocean and they were darting off in uh, pretty extreme angles. So they would, they would shoot and then they would turn at a 90 degree angle and, and, and come back around and they were moving incredibly quickly. And we were all just flabbergasted. And, and there is a, there is a, a an air force base uh, pretty close to that area. So we all assumed it was maybe some sort of military test project or something. Um, but having never seen anything like this i mean i'm 42 years old right now this would be 30 plus years ago so um you know did the government have uh incredible drone technology then maybe uh mm. but man these things were unbelievable and the whole family was just kind of shook uh, shaken up about it we didn't know what we had just witnessed and it was a it was a pretty powerful event and that was the that was one thing that got me really like locked into ufos but then mm. You know, I hit high school and and totally got got out of that interest level. <laughs> um, you know, really focused on uh, the things high schoolers do. And it wasn't until later in life that I, you know, kind of stumbled back into this topic. And I'm extremely passionate about uh, philosophy, consciousness, technology. You know, physics. All these things are are you know what right up in my wheelhouse. These are the things I like to talk about. Like if if. You know, I just I can't stand chit chat. I can't stand small talk. I love to dig deep into cool topics. Um, and that's why we create, you know, that's why I created the Singularity Lab. That's why we joined up with Lou on the Unidentified Slow Review, because, you know, we get to talk to amazing people 
And, you know, neither Lou or I consider ourselves experts in these topics, but we get to, you know, create a platform to bring in experts and, you know, interesting people and people with new ideas. And, you know, we don't really get stuck in this sort of idea that you have to have, you know, the only guest you could talk about about physics with is is somebody who's, you know, it's like, come on, like we can we can have conversations and and. Uh, use our imaginations outside of the halls of academia. And that's what, that's what I really like to do. So, you know, when it comes to where these things come from, what the phenomena is, you know, I, to me, the most profound thing that, that got me back into, into this topic of UAP specifically was Fravor and Dietrich's incident. And Mm. that continues to me to be the kind of the gold standard when it comes to, this is something beyond what our military is doing and, and what we have. However, I don't, I take no hypothesis off the table, right? Like I, for me, you know, you can have a priority list uh, or as Mick West calls it, an atomic list. Uh, Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like, you can't take anything off the table, especially, and this is the whole thing with the Fermi paradox, right? The idea that, you know, there's, there's 10 uh, stars in our galaxy to every single grain of sand on the earth. Like, I don't even know what to do with that number. I don't even know how to process that. But I do know that it, the idea that we're alone in the galaxy is obscene and absurd and incredibly egocentric. That being said, can, has any, and you know, any being figured out a way to get off the planet past the great filter and, uh, you know, travel these extraordinary distances in a biological, uh, you know, meat body. I don't know, but the idea of von Neumann probes and the possibility of AI and other intelligent civilizations sending uh, scouts out into the universe is, I mean, to me, that's, that's my number one hypothesis when it comes to the most extraordinary of these UFO events. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about right now and jump into head first is like, where do we go with all of this and what angle do we take? I think you have to look at it from all the perspectives. Is it physical? Is it an actual craft from another planet? Or are they coming from another dimension of reality or an alternate part of the multiverse or something like that where reality gets thin and they come through? And a lot of that flies right over a lot of people's heads when you start talking about things like like uh, Lou Elizondo and Bob Bigelow saying that these entities when they're down on the ground or when they encounter us as humans it seems like those encounters come off as paranormal or they involve things that's when you're sleeping at night or different types of I'm sorry my throat's acting really funny tonight paranormal phenomenon that occurs And uh, it almost comes off like a spiritual event. So how would you guys quantify that where the two blend together? Mm. Go ahead, Louis. Sorry, my throat's like acting really funny. I mean, I don't know how you'd quantify it. I I think it's a combination of a lot, all of those things. You know, it doesn't have to be just one. Like, I think it's military aircraft. I think it could be alien visitors i think it could be interdimensional i think it could be uh, versions of ourselves visiting in the past um and and guiding things to make sure that the future is guaranteed um so how do you explain that when they talk about it being other dimensional like if you were going to try and explain that to somebody what is another dimension of reality where these things could be um i try to explain it in you know i always ask them well how many dimensions are there tell me them 
you know, height, <laughs> width, depth, right? That's usually where they get to. And yeah. then they don't ever include time. Time is a dimension. Um, right. And then once I think they understand that, now imagine something operating in a fifth dimension that we've never seen or a sixth or a seventh or imagine or, or yeah, you know? Um, <laughs> so that's how I like to think of it. You know, that's sort of how I sort of wrap my brain around, like, you know, think of it as um, especially now the a, a nice analogy I like to use is this sort of the same one Elizondo talks about, you know, these monsters just below the sea surface that we used to think were from hell, you know? And then once we actually got some, divers in the water and and instruments in the water we figured out oh they're whales you know like right they're sharks right. there there are there are big squid um you know there are all these marine life and marine animals that if you had never had any context for these things you would be flabbergasted at seeing one of them and so yeah. but now we know what they are and i think that's sort of the same thing a lot of folks also like i think green street thinks they're right in front of your face, man. Like if you could put on a pair of IR goggles and see an infrared, imagine putting on a different set of goggles where you can mm -hmm. see all of it. Which technically you have to do even going into the ocean, right? We had no ability to even look down deep into the ocean without developing alternative lenses right. and helmets in order to be able to go in and change our perception and be able to take the air down and go look almost <laughs> well, like almost like going bring, into space we know? had to bring our own atmosphere with us just like going into outer space yeah. almost yeah yeah it's not that much different it's very what do you have think, you guys Mike? ever read have you guys ever read the um it was like a i think like an 18th century novella it's called flatland we, we studied it in philosophy when i was in college and the idea is that they're you know, there's these beings that live on this two-dimensional surface and they're being visited by three-dimensional beings, but they can only see in two dimensions. So their ability to recognize what they're seeing only fits into their reality, yet they're, they exist in, in a far more, um, you know, a, a, a way that they just can't perceive, but they're only seeing bits and pieces of this. And we had uh, uh, Bradley Voorhees on the show the other day, um, and, and he got a lot of folks riled up. Uh, but one of his theories is that, you know, we're living on the surface of a black hole and we're actually living in a two dimensional reality, but we're perceiving it as three dimensions. And, you know, the because it's curved, because it's curved. It's like and it's so curved hologram. <laughs> right. And yeah. so this idea that, you know, we can only perceive it. And, you know, you, again, you go back to the visible light spectrum and what we can perceive of the visible light spectrum and, you know, how much of reality we just simply can't perceive. I think this is where we have to be humble and say, you yeah. know, we really don't know what's possible and out there, but we should be open to the possibilities. And again, this is why, you know, I love speaking to people in academia, but I love to speak to people who are using their, you know, using their imagination. And On the fringe. I, yeah, I think, I think this idea, people get mad when you, when you speculate in the paranormal, but I think speculating in the paranormal actually does a service to science and it allows yeah. people to create new hypotheses and go test those hypotheses. And that's how you, you know, that's how you learn. So I'm, I'm totally open to the fringe. I'm open to all these things. I don't, I don't speculate on these things as fact, but I think the thought experiments are incredibly helpful in pushing science forward and pushing our understanding of the universe forward. Um, so that's why I love to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I think so too. I, I like what you were saying uh, about it, 
you know, if we had a lens that we could put on maybe, and that's what we're trying to do with like FLIR technology and these different types of devices now, something that we can adapt our ability to perceive reality in order to see these other dimensions. And that in a way kind of reveals in and of itself, like our own human limitations. Like we come into the world with a particular hardware set of lenses. We have our eyes are literally lenses, your ears, you've got basically a membrane that picks up frequency, uh, pulse vibrations passing through you. And you've got your sensory uh, uh, mechanisms in your body and your skin and all of that. But really, you've got like a... I was just going to say real quick, Carl, the sense of smell too, you know, our olfactory senses, they're still not explained through science. Right. And, and they're actually postulating these, this is a quantum interaction with, 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 with molecules. And it's like, this is, this is the, the insanity of this, you know, these quantum brains that we're walking around here on this planet with and how limited yet extraordinary they are. Definitely. And, you know, it makes me think um, like, if reality is something more like a quantum field or a particle field, let's imagine it being like an energetic gas cloud that's non-differentiated that has consciousness within it or a field of different consciousnesses, like a cloud, a cloud of consciousness. But then you place a lens within that and that focal point suddenly is able to see holographically that cloud in a perceptual way that isn't actually real, but gives you like, a sense of reality that feels three-dimensional and actual to the point where you could actually move around it and live a whole life. So when you think about that, our lenses are preset to only see reality evolutionary a certain way. So do you think that if these things are extraterrestrials, that it's a problem that they're controlling those lenses and hiding from us using their advanced technology and able to stay hidden? Mm. Are we just not capable of perceiving them or do they actually exist in another blind spot dimension? What do you guys think about that? Mm. All of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, another, another thing of maybe all three. I mean, I love again, Lou Elizondo's analogy of the cigarette. Yeah. You know, like uh, past, present, time, uh, future. But a- a- as the present is burning in that cherry, you've got parts of the past and parts of the future popping off all at the same time. Um, and it's it's it gets the the closer you get to that cherry, the stranger it gets. Um, and if these craft are being operate with freely within this cigarette, you know, that's that might explain some of it, you know, sort of like how they can, they can do whatever they want. Time is of no meaning to them. They like, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I always love going back to the person who is smoking the cigarette. Like mm. does something have control over the phenomena? You know, yeah. like, is there a bigger, even bigger, crazier power that is smoking this cigarette thinking it's just a cigarette you know like it's a it's a it's a it's a inanimate object it's just there for his 10 minutes of pleasure or her 10 minutes of pleasure and when this entity is done it's just like boop, i'm done you know but that 10 minutes for that burn feels like trillions of years for us right um and i'm wondering my biggest question is is does that does that phenomenon 
as it's operating within our reality and within our rules of this cigarette, is it aware that it's being smoked, you know, by something even bigger? And that's, that's where my brain just starts going, you know? Um, But, you know, when, when I asked Lou, he's like, well, that's what, you know, theologians have been taught thinking about forever. And I'm like, I get it now. I'm a theologian. Yeah. Not really. Theologians. But, and even the, when you look into the, like the core origins of a lot of the major religions, you, it makes you scratch your head and wonder, like if they were actually encounters with the phenomenon that were uh, picked up and trying to reinitiate contact evolved into all these different religious rituals and rites and, and uh, trying to receive the message and, and stuff like that. We don't have to get into a bunch of religion, but the point I wanted to bring up with what we've been talking about is the idea of, altered states of consciousness. It seems like in these encounters, there's always like an out-of-body experience or some sort of a telepathic communication. Even with the the, Nim- the Nimitz encounter, um, there's people on the crew that claimed that they, you know, had severe nightmares and like telepathic paranormal stuff that, that bothered them. Uh, and it seems to happen all the time like this. So what is it about our ability to be consciously aware, like slipping into dream states or meditative states that seems to trigger this or affect contact? What, what do you think, Michael? Um, so, yeah, so many good questions there. Um, I, let's go back here. Let me let me kind of preface it with this. So Lou talked about this, you know, idea. We, we always talk about ourselves living in three dimensions, yet we actually live in four because time is a dimension. What we experience uh, when it comes to gravity and, uh, you know, kind of being stuck to this planet, uh, you know, time behaves very differently than if you're traveling at the speed of light. Right. So there is this, you know, there there's this way of looking at the world that is very materialistic and very mechanistic in the here and now. And, you know, we're only looking at Newtonian physics and how things react. But. That doesn't uh, all that begins to break down on the quantum realm and all that begins to break down when you when you, you know, reach the speed of light. So if any being has come close to manipulating the speed of light, now they're in charge of that fourth dimension and now they can move through that fourth dimension. And that Mm -hmm. gives them a much greater ability to see reality as it is than we have. So if you know, if we are being visited by beings like that then we can expect not to ever be able to truly understand them coming from, you know, our, our three-dimensional experience that we, that we vaguely can understand the relationship between time and matter. That being said, um, I want to go back to your question about consciousness and the relationship there. Uh, when we were talking to Dr. Massimo Tiadorani from Italy, who had been studying the Hesdalen lights, one of the things that he mentioned was they had a two-hour experience with this uh, this object that they couldn't explain, and that, that was in uh, Norway, right? That's in Norway, correct? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Hi- Jay Allen Hynek went and studied there for a long time. But yeah, uh, yes, exactly. And so the interesting thing, though, was that. Uh, I believe Tia Durrani and then one of the other scientists, they had, ex- they had opposite conscious reactions to, to this experience. One felt like they were being driven away and they were terrified and they, they couldn't help, but feel like their mind was being, um, you know, I, I hesitate to use a word like rape, 
but he was being he felt like something was entering his consciousness that was not invited and so the other scientists i believe it was Tiadarani, but we'll have to double check this the next time we speak to him was attracted that he felt pulled consciously toward the object and my it, this reminded me of psychedelics and how some people hmm. in a psychedelic experience can have a profound uh experience where they feel like they're being pulled toward a a greater consciousness uh whereas other people can be feel like they're being repelled and they're they're trying to escape what they believe is a breach in their in their own consciousness so this phenomenon is interesting the way it relates in its sort of conscious way. Um, now, are, are the Tic Tacs conscious? Can we connect with them? Are you know are these other objects conscious? Uh, maybe, but I think it's I think it's fascinating the relationship between you know people's conscious experiences uh, in psychedelic states and then experiences when they're dealing with uh, with these these uh, unknown phenomena. It's fascinating to me. It makes you wonder, you know, us as humans. There isn't any other life on the entire planet that actually builds a craft to crawl inside and then travels around. Usually life evolves in such a way that it self-contains itself in order to fly or swim through the water or do what it does. It makes you wonder, like that conscious connection, are these craft actually conscious in and of itself? Or are there little beings running around inside or, or both? The whole thing is super fascinating to me. But I think I like what you said, Michael, like people who have experimented with psychedelics seem to also understand this concept of other dimensions of reality being possible. You know, you can take uh, mushrooms or psilocybin, something like that in a controlled environment, in a good setting and experience an altered state of consciousness and sit right in your bedroom or backyard and see reality from a different lens, a different focal point and realize maybe how it's not the same as you think it is or held together energetically the way that you normally experience it. And I think that gives a lot of people a clue that there could be other things there. There could be entities living in those blind spots and those shadows. So what do you think it's going to take? Is it going to be like an approach through the consciousness exploration, through like remote viewing and psychedelics. And that's going to open the gateway to be able to explore the phenomenon, or is it going to be through advancements in technology and, and integrating ourselves with technology in order to see these things and enhancing ourselves? How are we going to finally make real legitimate contact? I think it's both. Mm. Yeah. We keep saying that. It really is, though. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah I it's, I mean, well, I, I, I hate in this topic. I hate to always say it's just one thing, you know, because it just doesn't make sense for it to be one thing. I think it could be a combination of, of all these things we're talking about. You know, it could be it could be that crazy. <laughs> my biggest fear is that when we do make contact, my biggest, biggest fear is they're just as messed up and divided as us. <laughs> that would be my biggest fear. Yeah. <laughs> Like a whole string of them, like one, like maybe Roswell is just like some scout ship that crashed, some other incidents totally different. It could be completely different, unconnected, disconnected incidents. And we think that aliens are all just one thing, you know, like, but it's kind of crazy to think that when you go look in the ocean, you think, oh, there's only tuna, you know, that's right. not, not the case. When you look no. in the other dimensions of reality, the variety would be endless, it seems. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then uh, you look at you think about um, you know, like the the scale of civilizations like type 1, type 2, the cartage of uh scale. And then you think about, you know, the reverse of that, right? The the mastery of the quantum realm. And so we don't know what we're dealing with here. Maybe we're dealing with both, right? If you're if you're thinking about extraterrestrial civilizations and they have been able to uh, you know, reach the, you know, build Dyson spheres and, and reach these extraordinary levels, their own stars. Yeah. These extraordinary levels of technology. Um, you know, those might be, those might be the ones that are sending out von Neumann probes and, and exploring the galaxy with AI. Whereas you have these other, you know, other tech, uh, other civilizations that have gone in and, and mastered the, the subatomic realm and the ability to, you know, literally create anything, that they want. And so, you know, and, and, and understand, you know, dimensional reality, light speed, all these sorts of things. So, you know, you may have different variations of mm-hmm. extraterrestrials throughout the universe, some who have mastered the outer world and some who have mastered the inner world. And so you, you'd, you'd definitely be dealing with very different species uh, depending on how they evolve. Yeah. yeah, it seems like there's always kind of a consistent thread to it, like that consciousness connection. There's, And you can't escape it in the end. Ultimately, you have to perceive the encounter through the lens of your witness. You know, you have to look up at the sky and see it and process it and think about it and have the emotions. Or you're experiencing it like in a dream state or coming to you in a meditative state uh, or some sort of out-of-body experience like that. So I think this is such a fascinating thing. And we're kind of realizing that maybe it's not so much of a problem that everybody's coming at it from the wrong angle, but the variety of the phenomenon is so vast because you've got everything from nuts and bolts crafts coming from other planets potentially, or probes or drones being sent to check us out to other dimensional type entities and beings, and maybe a blend of both like Skinwalker Ranch. You've got kind of both going on. So what, what is, I mean, we could talk about well, not to mention around. terrestrial, you know, not to mention like what here and now we just had an extraordinary conversation with David Hambling, uh, mm-hmm. who wrote small drones will uh, take over the world. And so we're seeing, and this is, this is going to be a big problem for people who are studying UAPs and UFOs and are looking for the, the types of UAPs and UFOs that you're talking about, the inter, interdimensional extraterrestrial, um, ultra terrestrial, those sorts of, uh, UFOs, but, on the other side, you've also got drone technology that is just exploding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, and, and that, and I think this is the biggest danger that we face uh, when it comes to getting to the bottom of some of these truths is that people will easily put, will easily attempt to debunk any any of the types of UFOs and UAPs you're talking about by simply referencing drones as drones get more advanced and uh and and are sighted more and so you have so many sightings that are terrestrial already that can easily be attributed to things that our our current technology is capable of and i think you know the the concern i have is that we'll lose sight of these diamonds in the rough and 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 not explore and uh and look for the things that we should be looking for uh you know that are potentially extraterrestrial or interdimensional because 99% of it is terrestrial. 
That's true. That's a good point. Well, I'm also wondering too, Carl, because we you asked like, well, how do you think we're going to con- make contact? Is it going to be like a remote view? Is it going to be some sort of technique that we've we figured out and and how to flag them down? What if we already have? And I'm not saying like, hi, I'm I'm Carl Vibe. Hello, I'm I you know I'm Zentar from Zeta Reticuli. Um, not like that. I mean, like, and we we've had the discussion again. Like, what if these nuclear weapons, these you know, 6,000 plus nuclear bomb detonations that have gone off have been contact for them. Mm. You know, what if those, those bombs, those ripping of atoms and, and, and what that does to space time, (laughs) um, you know, what are we affecting on the other side of that? Uh, because I always think of, you know, can you imagine if we blew up a coffee shop or something in another dimension mm-hmm. or or we we wiped out an entire country uh, somewhere, you know, country like thing, you know, I don't say country, but just something on the other side that caused great pain and loss of life. Yeah, you detonate these bombs under the ocean and like. Before you knew that there was like whales and dolphins and life under there, you're right. just like, yeah, let's just throw our trash out there in the ocean and it'll take care of it. You know, but but don't uh, you guys we, think we don't that, really know. Yeah, don't you guys think that an atomic bomb detonation on a tiny planet like Earth is nothing compared to a supernova? Like that, that's that's the, that's why like that's why I have a hard time believing that idea because it's like. Well, what what would a supernova do to rip the the time space continuum and create well, a black hole? Maybe the signature of a supernova though is different than the splitting of an atom. You know what I mean? Maybe they're just they're they register differently. Um, it's hard to split out the hairs on it because at the same yeah. time as the nuclear weapon advancement happening all over the world, we've got the space race going on and probes and satellites being sent out advancements in satellite and radio technology. So we're sending all of a sudden as a planet uh, all sorts of crazy signals out into the cosmos and completely changing technologically. And and all of a sudden uh, electricity and all sorts of information systems wrapping around the globe. So, I mean, if there's anything out there to listening, we all of a sudden turned on in a big way back right at, in the middle of World War II and that turn of the century. Uh, and so whether it was the atomic explosions got their attention and maybe again, it was a variety. Certain ones were attracted to different events. Uh, and there's absolutely a correlation between UFO sightings and, and, you know, the first atomic detonation. So I'm not, I, I definitely see that correlation. I just have a hard time with the idea that we're even our, our nuclear bombs are, are so destructive uh, interdimensionally that that I have a hard time wrapping my head around, but you know, it's, it's, well, I mean, uh, again, imagine, imagine, imagine these things are in a, like, we don't see them because we don't have the filter. Right. But they're right in front of our face. And the, mm, that's an this, is, point. this is life. Right. And you've just, you don't know where this life thrives. You don't know what it lives off of. And you've just put a nuclear weapon in their in their space, man, and they're maybe they're aware of us, and they're looking at us, going, "Okay, what the fuck do we do about this?" Like you, they drop a, a big bomb out in some desert valley in Nevada, and unbeknownst to us, we're blind to the fact that in another dimension, that sends a total a total shockwave through an entire 
sort of civilization of beings that lives on this other side of reality that we can't even perceive. And they become aware of that and that clues them in to try to figure out their problems from their side of the problem. Wouldn't it be scarier if they couldn't do anything about it? Scarier yeah. For them. If they're right. dependent, if we're dependent upon each other in some kind of symbiotic way that we don't understand in, in nature. Uh, it's I very, mean, very interesting. It's fun to, fun to think about probably very unlikely, but it's, <laughs> but it's fun to think. I mean, like, I like to think of, you know, take anything the, the, off the table, man, the card, the Kardashian of scale, right. You know, mm-hmm. the type five civilization, I think even uh, Michikaku might've added a sixth, but this idea of creating your own star, <laughs> like, yeah, that's insane to me. And I wonder what kind of listening probes, like a Project Mogul, they have littered through galaxies all over the place. And they can tell the difference between a supernova and intelligent life playing God. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. It's fun. Well, you know, it's this idea that uh, what's the quote? Magic is indistinguishable from advanced technology. Like, and that's that's I think what we have to be thinking about when it comes to the Kardashev scale and and potential extraterrestrial intelligences, right? I mean, you know, what we would perceive as magic or just extraordinary is uh, you know simple technology that they've developed and, and mastered. So here's a question from uh, Kev D. He said, if you had a free pass for let's say 24 hours, high level security clearance to be able to see any kind of secret place or thing. And you wouldn't get in trouble for talking about it. Where would you go? What would you look at? Would it be like Lockheed Martin or would it be underground area 51? Would it be a, man, that's a good question. Cause lately I think I'd I'd lean toward the department of energy, but I wouldn't know where to look. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas whereas area 51, I'd be like, uh, I just, how many hours do I have? 24. Yeah. I don't know know if I'll be able to get the whole basin in 24 hours. Let's Um, just say they drop you, they drop you off and like Disneyland and like, here you go. I mean, look, if (laughs) if it was a drop off in a place where I had a feeling where all the information would be and it was just, okay, there's the door. You could go through it. You don't have to look for it and you get 24 hours to just kind of have fun and explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd go department of energy. So would that be like Department of Energy, like in Area 51 itself? Like go to right? Um, wherever they accumulate all of their files on all of the toys and all of the nuclear patents and all their patent office. That's where I'd want to go to is their patent office is, he, and see what kind of toys they've developed and actually put into Vatican libraries. Vatican library. That's, that's a good one. The mysteries in the I, Vatican library. Can I take library. my back? Can I go to the lab, Vatican library? <laughs> Um, cause that's good. I, I mean, or it, if it was any place in time, I'd go to, um, the, uh, uh the, well, oh God, I just, I just left the tip of my brain. The, the big, the uh, library of Alexandria. Mm. Uh, that'd be dope. That'd be the one that would be cool. But if it was today, I'd say the patent office or the patent file uh, of all of the, all of the military toys, at the DOE. That'd be amazing. What about you, Michael? Where would you go run around in some warehouse where they keep the Ark of the Covenant or something? Or, I mean, Bell Labs is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And this is probably on the same line as Lou with the DOE, but like Bell Labs or um, uh, Lockheed Martin would be interesting 
um, you know, like their super secret developmental uh, areas. I'd also be curious. Uh, I'd definitely be curious about Area 51. Um, yeah, those. So that's Kevin what Childress I mean. is in the chat. I'd wonder where Kevin Childress would go for 20. Yeah, Kevin, hours. where would you go? Is S4 a real thing? Like, I don't know. I, I was thinking S4. Somebody said S4 in the thing, but I'm just not sure if S4 is an actual facility. Um, yeah, you go to try to go to Dolce, New, Mex- yeah. Dolce New Mexico, and there's nothing there. It's all it's a rumor. Base. It's just BS. Yeah, like I would want to know that has been 100% confirmed and verified. <laughs> that would be amazing. So, like, uh, yeah, it would but be then interesting. He said the second part of the question was you then you couldn't tell anybody. Oh, he That's... said you couldn't tell anybody. You couldn't. Yeah. Or would oh. you turn down the queen? Yeah, yeah. I would, I would Bob Lazar. I would tell everybody. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I've always said that the topic needs a Nelson Mandela. It needs a very credible person um, that people respect and actually love that comes out and tells this truth and mm. then gets punished for it. Mm. So they're made a martyr. Um, oh, the, the topic needs the, the topic needs a martyr. It needs like an Edward Snowden or something, someone in that vein who's just like, you know what, this is BS, and st- literally steals the information. You know, like steals the information for wherever it comes from, blasts it out publicly. Uh, it's the wrong way to do it. It's it's hundred percent against security ethics and codes. But I think that's what the topic needs. It really does. Um, that's somebody that is completely unapologetic about giving people the truth on the topic with proof, not just right. a story, you know, uh, with actual hardcore pieces or a smoking gun document video. Um, it, ha- it would have to be, you know, something extraordinary. Kevin Childers, I can't go there. Yeah, he's like, I what can't do you go. Guys think like what? I, wait, wait, real quick, Kevin, was I close with the patent office though? Can you tell me if I was close? Off the record, cold. maybe. Right, right. Uh, sorry, Mike. You wouldn't know what you're looking at. He says that's fair. Uh, no, I was just gonna say that's like totally fair. What, totally what if fair. what if the government has like proof that there we are being visited, but like they're not in contact, like. What would disclosure mean in that circumstance? Would it even be valuable? Would it even matter? I think it would be mm. definitely valuable. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if they did cart out on a flatbed truck in front of some news station and say, we're going to do an actual release, this is a real craft. I mean, there would be a huge amount of the population that, that still wouldn't care or wouldn't believe it. I right. think you're right. It would be a multifaceted approach. It would take... Not only is it the scientific community backing it, but the government, multiple governments. It's going to have to be like a global sort of disclosure because in the end, if it is some sort of a physical craft that came down, but it's also connected to other dimensions of reality, how they proceed to disclose this or how it comes out is going to be very interesting because if they are right in front of our faces or in this alternate dimension of reality, and sometimes they pop through in physical form and then crash, then it is two parts of of a problem. We've got uh, not only these things coming down and invading our space and our oceans and things like that with advanced technology, but they're potentially, you know, 
the boogeyman under the bed and in the closet at night, and they have been there the whole time. So what is a, the thread that you guys think ties this together from boogeyman under the bed, the shadow man in the corner, poltergeist, all the way up to craft in the sky? What's your question exactly? <clears throat> My throat's kind of going out again. Oh, My sorry. question is, in the in the spectrum there, because it's such a big scale, how do we need to approach disclosure? Where do we cut that down? Where do you think people are going to actually accept it the easiest? Is it going to be a craft or is it exploring consciousness in that in that way? Well, I guess that's my, the point of my question. Like, what if if we're not in contact and we don't have any? It's like we're not going to get like unlimited energy. We're not going to get like cool technology out of it, but we just like know it exists. I don't know that anything changes, bro. Like, I don't know if disclosure actually changes anything because like you said, people are still not going to believe it. You're still going to have, you know, it's not like anything in, we're we're not, uh, you know, we're not in a post-scarcity society. Like that's to me the biggest, you know, if, if we are being visited and there is advanced technology and they're willing to offer it to us uh, to get us past this point of, you know, just polluting the planet and get us to a, uh, another level of civilization, then that's one thing. But if it's not that, and it's, we just, we either found a craft or we're just aware of something existing. I don't, I don't know that much changes. Hmm. Hmm. I think I disagree a little bit. I mean, if it's, if it's something along the lines of, you know, the president of the United States or uh, heads of state around the world come out together in a press conference and announce to the world that there is an extraterrestrial presence, it's visiting our planet, but we're not in contact with it. Right. I think that changes science tomorrow. Science, the, 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 the discussion changes tomorrow. Um, I think they immediately go into high, I think. I think, you know, you think NASA's switching into a gear now with Bill Nelson and his crazy smile. Imagine if something like that happened. I think a lot of funds would be devoted from probes, you know, with helicopters on Mars that, uh, I mean, they're cool and they're the first step. But shit, man, we could be doing a lot of cool stuff here Mm -hmm. uh, and probing for stuff here and looking for stuff here, especially in our oceans. Forget about, you know. A, 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 an announcement like that but if an announcement did happen man whew, i think i would ch- that would be a, a paradigm shift for sure dude i don't think I, I i agree with you on some levels that for some people it'll be just like water off a duck's back cool yeah i kind of knew that anyway right no big deal but i think for the people in scientific academia the ch- the that's gonna be a huge gut punch yeah. to Mick West, <laughs> Neil right. deGrasse Tyson. I mean, what did they say the next day? The president of the United States makes an announcement like that and say they have a, a concrete two-angle look with radar or radar. No, forget the radar. Let's just say cockpit recordings and the two pilots that were actually there with the event and they're there with the president and they tell their experience something along those lines um yeah dude i think that changes a lot of stuff but uh, but you know it doesn't come with the free energy it doesn't come with you know the you know the (laughs) i always think of star trek just spaceships coming up and down up and down going here and there you know we're not the jetsons but I think um, that announcement 
if we don't get the other version of disclosure at some point, that announcement in 200, 300, 400 years down the line, I think makes science way different than it would be if we don't get that announcement. That's a really good point. So this idea, it's almost like a, when you're sailing a ship, you change it one degree and you're, you're, you're moving your trajectory by, by hunt by thousands of miles. So I, I can accept that. I don't think anything changes overnight. No, 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 no. I think it's going to be a fuck. Our channel changes overnight. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We're on on NBC overnight. Like our channel goes from tiny little thing to, oh, my God, people are going to be super curious about this. Um, You know, so I think for folks like us, it's going to be it's going to be the day we've been waiting for, because now everybody wants to have the discussion. And now we get we're in charge of catching everybody up. So that's going to be fun. Um, And I think the water cooler conversation is going to be lit. I think (laughs) Sunday service, I'd say I haven't been to church in a while, but I would go to church that Sunday and listen (laughs) to what the priest has to say that that Sunday service. There are going to be some really, really fun fun discussions and and opinions. Like, we're going to get to hear what the Kardashians think about this. You know, we're going to, like, who knows the, like, dude. Well, think think about the cults that start to pop up. The cults that pop up that that's just the I don't want to think about the ugly shit. But I'm like, just saying you gotta that that'll it. happen. No, for sure. That would happen without a doubt. But imagine the the marketing campaign Tic Tac puts on then, you know, <laughs> like or Oreo or or Prada, you know, or a NASCAR or the NFL. Like that, like everybody's gonna jump on this. Oh man, we're not alone, wagon. And it's going to be like the hottest thing for the next 50 years. And then, and then I think that inspires, like you said, it's just like the one degree on the ship, like a kid who's six years old and hears that announcement when he's 30, what kind of, what kind of trajectory changes that for that kind of person? Do they get in the science? Do they try to think of energies that fit these, 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 whatever we are privy to whatever we get you know but that inspires people to think of those technologies Mm -hmm. and and those and 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 think like a fringe thinker you know and people might return even to like ancient spiritual practices again we've talked about this on the show before where suddenly everybody kind of becomes sort of a pseudo modern version of hindu or or buddhist and that connection sort of turns full circle back through time and we realize the connection on our ancient history that this has been going on for forever in, in our past this these other entities whether they come from other dimensions or other planets have been coming potentially and interacting us forever so people could have a huge shift in that so i mean it's one thing if everybody just had to accept like a piece of evidence but imagine if they were able to suddenly like shift the 5g signal and change our perspectives and suddenly you see the poltergeist that's living in your house alongside you and you understand the entity and you become visibly aware of it and, or emotionally aware of it, would that Ooh. suddenly create a shift where we realize we're not alone. These things are right in front of our face, cohabitating the universe with us. Well, yeah, I've actually, yeah, during um, during a, a psilocybin experience, that was a, that was a very vivid uh, thought or vivid experience was this idea that there is literally this switch and like 
when when you when you switch it humanity the 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 quantumly entangled brains that we all have are able to see in a higher frequency and but it wasn't it wasn't this idea of like you can now see the poltergeist like everything just moved up a level of frequency where it was now like what we associated with evil or darkness was just immediately replaced with with much more vivid and bright uh you know things so yeah this is something that i i've definitely thought about um ruminated on uh and it's something that uh, i'm fascinated by so i think if there's a if there's an evolution of the human species that is not a technological singularity but is some sort of um raising of the vibrational awareness then uh yeah i've de- i've thought about that for a long time yeah, it's interesting that people, we keep talking about the psychedelics, but suddenly you maybe even perceive what you normally experience day to day, like the table in front of you, energetically, perceptually completely different. And you understand the concept of reality in a different way than you've understood it before, not just the user interface that's straightforward that you've experienced from birth all the way up, right. but you sort of change your goggles, put a different lens on and perceive things differently. And you realize there's other things that may exist there right alongside us in a, in a co-reality in the shadows, sort of that we've evolved to not be able to even perceive them. And you would never know unless you change that lens, change your perspective and change your focus. And so one last thing that ties into that is that you have like the Stanford research Institute, they do remote viewing. Uh, They seem to approach all of this from not only the technology, but also the consciousness perspective. So you've got remote viewing teams. I just interviewed Paul Smith on my last show. He even himself said they had a whole team of people that remote viewed um, the backside of the moon. And they encountered a craft that was like a Tic Tac on the dark side of the moon, sitting in a crater that seemed to be consciously aware, not only that, but consciously of them uh, remote viewing them somehow, even from Earth. Mm. And this is a whole team of remote viewers that for all they know, they might be looking for a box of buried pirate treasure in the Caribbean. They have no idea going into it that they are being sent to look at the moon. And so you've got people approaching it from the consciousness meditative perspective. And then you've got, you know, fighter jets and technology and satellites looking at it as well. And somewhere in the middle People are going to have to face the truth of this reality and how it's going to come out. So uh, if you had your pick, uh, Michael, of how disclosure came out, would it come out from the people, from the extraterrestrials, or would it come out through the government? Or what What do you think would be like uh, I, your ideal way? It's this, it's this consciousness shift, right? It's this extraordinary um connection with what, whatever we're actually dealing with right whether it's spiritual in nature or quantum in nature however you want to define that but if there was this sort of frequency shift that we could experience as human beings that put us into this new reality where we now have new goggles and we can see in a new way uh i think that that's the only thing to me that that gets everybody on board at the same time now if it's technological it's a post scarcity civilization. It's the ability to uh, move past resource, um, you know, ownership and move into this sort of egalitarian society that is beyond 
you know, beyond need for for these sorts of competitions over resources. So from a technological side, I think it's a, 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 a technology that creates post-scarcity. Uh, and then from a, you know, potential consciousness side, I think it's this raising of the vibration that allows us to change our goggles and see uh, see the world in a new way. Mm. So overall, from not only civilization and the technology advancing and benefiting humanity, but also spiritually and esoterically, people changing their perspectives and having to evolve into that new world. That's really Be great. Great. I mean, think about it, because then yeah. you're not dealing with like communication issues and errors in perception. It's just a you're just all on the same wavelength like this. Yeah. Because yeah. if, yeah, if we truly are a unified field and all of our brains are these quantum computers then they should be able to be connected. And I know that sounds scary to people because it's like, well, I mm. need my privacy. But if you're thinking, if, if, you, if, you know, it's like a quantum shift, it's a paradigm shift. You don't realize what the, the, the advantages and the bonuses are uh, because you're not experiencing it. You're, you're used to living in that fear of losing your identity, yourself, your stuff. Mm. What about you, Lou? Do you think uh, you are you excited more about the uh, technology aspect of it or the spiritual evolution of it that might come, mm. or both? I mean, both, obviously. Going with the theme of today. But if I had to choose one, man, that's tough because I've had this spiritual connection. I, well, I don't want to say spiritual, but like I, we've talked about my download that I had a few months ago, and man, that was awesome. Yeah, that it was feels so, great, right? Like so the clarity, awesome. the clarity associated with something like so that. So clear, um, how how I could see things. Uh, it was so cool. But then again, I really want to go to space. <laughs> yeah, you know, like how cool would it be to see the rings of Saturn, or you know, or see the sun like and get a perspective of how big it really is you know um ah, god i don't know man that's a tough question yeah. uh i think i would like to see the 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 phenomena just present itself so like kind of what michael said everybody's just on the same page there's no more questions or lies or obfuscation uh you know right. it's it, it it's just it's these are the facts um I, I'm almost wondering if you can have one without the other, but if I had to pick one, I think I'm going to go spiritual. Yeah. Just because uh, I I've had the chance to now experience both. Mm. And maybe because the download was a lot more recent and really, really visceral for me and emotional for me. And it was awesome. I've never felt anything like that in my life. Uh, but and you described yeah. it like a download. I've experienced yeah. that as well. Like when I've been uh, meditating, I'll, I have like what I call a, a waiting room that I've visualized in my uh, meditative space so that when I get to a certain uh, state of consciousness, I sort of enter a waiting room that I imagine in my mind. And if somebody has some other entity or something wants to come and deliver a message to me, then they will. And I've had some pretty phenomenal experiences with that. And I don't know if it's just tapping into your own subconscious and being able to suddenly like en enhance your own mind's ability to understand reality. And it feels like a giant download, but that's exactly how I would perceive it. And sometimes it's accompanied with feeling like there's a being there or someone, or even an ancestral type of presence. And then suddenly 
it's like I have a giant epiphany. I had that exact experience uh, standing at the viewing at my father's funeral, uh, standing there alone in the room with his body. I decided I was going to meditate, had a massive download of understanding the nature of reality is everything being uh, reflections of motion and light and energy. And it was like a whole physics lesson just put into my mind and into my soul. Like I understood it all within a moment and didn't have to really even process it. It was like, uh, like Neo in the matrix. Like I know Kung Fu. It's like, Oh, I understand like the movement of space time and reality differently now, just standing in there meditating with my, with my father, you know? Uh, And so same thing, but I've also seen strange stuff in the sky and had uh, like a paranormal encounter camping in the woods, you know? Mm. Um, So I think for myself, I like the idea of both in the sense that I would love a big giant ship to come down undeniable right over like New York city or somewhere big and everybody just be blown away. Undeniable. You can't avoid it. And then what comes out of that is a giant spiritual shift in reality mm-hmm. in that contact. And, and we have to evolve and in order to communicate and learn and get along uh, with that type of connection and experience forces us it, to Carl. suddenly evolve uh, and maybe not only transform our technology to match with that, but suddenly not be in disarray and have that be two different worlds, but our technology and spiritual world suddenly unite, which is the type of singularity I'm hoping for too. Same so, brother. <laughs> yeah, right. So with that, you know, we've talked here a little bit over an hour. I want to give you guys an opportunity really quick to tell everybody again, uh, what you guys have coming up on your own shows. I mean, I, we could go on for hours and hours. I'm having weird throat twitches and stuff like that going on. So um, Michael, why don't you tell everybody first uh, what you got going on? Who's coming up on the singularity lab over there? Yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't followed the Singularity Lab, make sure you uh, go check us out over there. Uh, you can just type in the Singularity Lab on YouTube or you can find us uh, on uh, Spotify. You can find us on uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Um, so this week on Thursday. So, again, if you guys didn't know, we go live five nights a week, uh, three times, Monday, Wednesday, Friday on the Unidentified Celebrity Review. Tuesday, Thursday on the Singularity Lab. Uh, this week, who the heck do I have coming up this week? <laughs> oh, I've got um, uh, I've got a um uh, ge- uh, genomics expert coming mm. on on Tuesday, so we're going to be talking about gene ed- editing um, and the the future of uh, of gene editing, future people, as it were, and uh, wh- whether we're going to be engineering a, a superhuman race. Uh, so that's on Tuesday, and then on Thursday, I'll have to remember and get back to you on that one. But uh, yeah, we're, it, should, it should be a good time. And then we're also doing the big phone home too coming up uh on labor day weekend which is going to be it's going to be dope it's going to be awesome if you guys are checking this out on youtube i've got everybody's links down in the description below if you want to click those and check them out uh lou tell everybody what you've got coming up we got the big phone home coming up mm-hmm. uh i didn't mean to jump this on you guys who your guests are and all that but uh, tell everybody what you've got going on um yeah so this week we've got on monday we got science bob mcguire which is gonna be really fun he's uh, part of the scu uh, we've got Ross Coldheart, who just wrote the book uh, In Plain Sight, uh, and he's confirmed for the big phone home. Uh, so he's also going to be joining us there as well. And then we've got Dave Beatty uh, coming on Friday uh, to discuss his uh, film, The Nimitz Encounter, and now how it's kind of obsolete and his announcement on Twitter, which I thought was 
just one of the honestly one of the best things I've ever seen on Twitter is somebody being open and honest and and calling it how it is and and saying hey this all this this project that put all this time into it's it yeah it's not valid anymore you know uh sorry you know which sucks for him as an artist and I'm sure as a researcher and which can we just take a second and appreciate that there's been so much coming out uh, recently with all of this, as much as it feels like we're starving for more breakthroughs and more drops yeah. of information that he can't even get a film produced without it becoming obsolete by the time it's done. That means, <laughs> I mean, things are moving pretty quick. We just don't, they are. we're impatient. That's a good point. They are, man. No, that's a good point. Um, and then, yeah, as far as um, I guess for the big phone home, we're, we're, we're still finalizing a lot of these folks. Uh, I can tell you for sure. Lou Elizondo will be there. 100%. Uh, John Greenwald will be there. 100%. Avi Loeb will be there. 100%. Again, Ross Coltart will be there. 100%. We got members from the Galileo project. We've got Rich Hoffman uh, from the SCU. We've got, um, ah, God, so many folks. Um, Vinny, Vinny Adams from disclosure team. Paul uh, Danny Danny Silva will be joining us. Uh, uh, looks like Project Unity will be joining us. Alex Sears. Um, we've got UFO Jane, who's going to be leading an all-female UFO UAP discussion uh, where me and Michael won't even be on the show. Uh, so that'll be really, really cool. Mm. Um, Stephen Greenstreet, I don't I think he's on the fence. I'm not sure if he's going to go. He's a journalist. So some journalists are very funny about uh, political movements. They don't want to be associated with them because that gives them some sort of bias. But some journalists don't care. Um, and that's great, you know, because if we can get some journalists to tell their readers and followers, hey, this is a worthy effort, I think you should look into it, or at least just tell a story about it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing. Um, Jason McClellan will be there. Uh, I'm going to be reaching out to, you know, the, some of the folks that came from last year. I just haven't had a chance yet to reach out to everybody. Um, we're going to try and get Richard Dolan. We're going to, you know, just uh, a, a multitude of, I'm working. I'm waiting to hear on four massive guests. That's all I can give you. Um, massive. Massive, get, massive. Like if we get these four guests, uh, sky's the limit, I think, on who we can attract uh, to come talk to us. We're trying to get senators, congressmen hmm. uh, to join us for conversations if we can, especially on the last day, which is a veteran um, um you know, theme day. It's going to be veterans, former government officials, um, and hopefully uh, state and local officials as well, and maybe some scientists sprinkled in there, Mm. um, and some big-time opinion makers. So that's all I can say. But, you know, it's it's shaping up to be a really, really fun three days. Um, So... That is going to be a huge show. Everybody go check out, if you don't know already, the Unidentified Celebrity Review with Luis Jimenez and make sure and subscribe and turn on notifications there so you don't miss the big phone home. I think it is going to be the event horizon that pushes disclosure Mm -hmm. over the edge. And I hope that those guests line up when they see that everybody else and also Michael over there on the Singularity Lab. I want to wish you the best of luck. Thanks, you guys, so much for joining the show today. And over in the chat, everybody that had your questions and comments to keep it going. And uh, we will see you guys in the next one. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Carl. Later. Thank you.